Hey everybody, welcome to Eyewitness News Mornings at 10. Hope you all had a nice weekend. Yeah. Ours consisted of building a DIY ice rink. <laughs> ice what? In our backyard. Yeah, it was yep. impressive. That's fantastic. You, you know, something to pass the time with these <laughs> sub-zero temperatures. Yeah. Uh, but we do have a lot to um, get to this week. Um, lots of news. Yeah, lots to talk about, uh, including pretty interesting new pilot program, which is designed to boost safety on subway platforms when you're waiting for the train. Just ahead, Crystal Cranmore will join us live from the Manhattan station that is now outfitted with these yellow platform gates. Also, New York City still struggling to prevent uncertified e-batteries from being bought and sold across the five boroughs. We are talking about the lithium ion batteries behind the alarming rise in fire death. Stan Krauth will join us with some info um, on how authorities are now approaching the problem. And you can't scroll social media right now without seeing craziness surrounding Stanley Cups. Mm. They can hold up to 45 ounces of water, promoting hydration, which has got to be a good thing, right? Yes. Well, not necessarily. Dr. John White of WebMD stopping by to talk about excessive water intake, the dangers, and explain, explaining how much is too much. But, Shirlene, you mentioned the frigid conditions, and that was such a big weather headline mm. over the weekend that yeah. I want to get right to weather. Let's do that. And talk about the warm-up that we have ahead this week. Taking a look outside right now, 28 degrees, a sunny sky. Wind out of the west at 3 miles per hour, so the wind has calmed down. That's helping us out a bit. Air temperature still in the teens and 20s for most of the tri-state area. 19 in Poughkeepsie right now, 24 in Sussex, 28 in Central Park, 26 in Bridgeport. Factor in the breeze, and it feels a little colder. Feels like just 14 in Newburgh. Feels like 21 in Morristown. Feels like 24 in Islip. But compared to the single-digit wind chill that we felt over the weekend, that's a big improvement. We're starting with sunshine today before clouds slide in. But I think the big weather headline for your Monday is that forecast high of 39. Coming off of a weekend deep freeze, we, New York City did not climb above the freezing mark Saturday or Sunday. It's why Charlene was able to build a skating rink in her <laughs> right. backyard. Our lows were in the teens. Gusts 35 miles per hour meant feels like temperatures in the single digits. It was a brutal weekend in terms of temperature. So nice to see this warming trend taking us actually 15 above the seasonal average. By Friday, we're in the mid-50s. The downside to this week's forecast is that the wet weather returns. Our rain chances start working in by tomorrow. Wettest days Wednesday and Thursday. I'll have future casts for you coming oh, up. It'll be a melted rink before exactly. you know it. That's <laughs> yeah. for sure. Back to a pond. Yes. All right, I know. So. All right, well, following breaking yeah. news in Queens, one person has died after a fire broke out at a building in South Jamaica. The, the fire was reportedly on the second floor of the building at 120-02 Sutphin Boulevard. Firefighters were able to get it under control. We're going to keep you updated as the story develops throughout the day. Jury selection begins today for two men who are charged with the murder of Run DMC's Jam Master Jay. Ronald Washington and Carl Jordan of Hollis, Queens, allegedly carried out the 2002 shooting death. This happened inside the hip-hop group's recording studio on Merrick Boulevard in Queens. Washington and Jordan go on trial in Brooklyn Federal Court, formally charged with drug trafficking and a firearms-related re murder. Some of the subway riders in Washington Heights that commute in and out of the 191st Street station uh, for their morning commute probably noticed something a little bit different, a surprise change there. The MTA uh, installing safety platform barriers. Yeah, it's a pair of new pilot programs um, aiming to improve safety near the tracks. Crystal Cranmore has been there uh, all morning. She's been at the station talking to strap hangers to see what they think about this. I know when I take the train, I'm like up against the wall, which is not a clean wall right. by any means. But as far away as but possible. But I'm as far away from that dangerous area as possible. 
Good morning. Yeah, same here. I know a lot of people that I spoke with, they brace against the wall. They're bracing against the pillars. Um, I did speak to a few people and they say that uh, basically there's a mixed reaction here, right? They're wondering if this is enough. They suggested having maybe the doors that kind of close uh, in front of the subway like they do at half, half, like they have at some of the airports. Um, but essentially they say it's a step in the right direction. Uh, the barriers which were installed this weekend are staggered along the platform. Um, on the uptown and downtown sides for the number one train. It leaves gaps to allow customers to enter and exit the train. But one of the main goals here is to prevent falls onto the track. The MTA has been tackling the issue of track safety, releasing a report last year highlighting the number of unauthorized track incidents, including falls and pushes. The MTA says these incidents rose 20% from 2019 to 2021, even as ridership fell due to the pandemic. Now, we spoke with writers about how they feel about the safety upgrades. I guess it's cool because it impedes somebody getting pushed over or falling. So yeah, I guess I feel pretty safe. We could like implement the doors that open when uh, the subway comes. I hope it keeps everybody safe. I have two small daughters, so you know, I'm always scared, you know, constantly. Like when I come to the train, I'm constantly, you know, afraid somebody's gonna just push them or something so or myself I don't think it's gonna do anything and I'm curious as how much money they actually spent on this um, but I'll see I'll give it a chance and MTA officials say they were able to fund this with existing uh, maintenance resources. Meanwhile, the 191st Street Station here is the first of four pilot locations. MTA officials will analyze the data and see if it's worth expanding this pilot program to other stations across the city. For now, we are live in Washington Heights. Crystal Cranmore, Channel 7 Eyewitness News. Crystal, thanks so much. Meanwhile, a new effort to remove subway surfing content on social media. New York lawmakers sent a letter to the leaders of Facebook, YouTube, TikTok, and Snapchat. It comes after a 14-year-old died in Brooklyn earlier this month while trying to ride on, a top, on top of an F train. Uh, last year, Mayor Adams came up with a deal with uh, social media companies to take down subway surfing videos. The MTA says 10,000 videos have since been removed. Long Island Railroad commuters uh, saw a few changes in their service this morning. The MTA made some adjustments to several lines during the rush hour commute, trying to give commuters a quicker ride. The changes mean several trains depart slightly earlier. A few trains are off the schedule in the hopes of following data and better matching when riders take trains. The changes affect afternoon and morning service. There are no changes to midday, evening, or weekend schedule. Some of the big changes include eliminating three trains from the Babylon line. On the Port Jefferson line, the 657 train from Huntington to Grand Central will be split into two trains. And on the Oyster Bay line, the 442 train now runs seven minutes earlier. Right now in lower Manhattan, court adjourned before it could even begin for former President Trump. Mr. Trump could have testified in the defamation case brought on by E. Jean Carroll today. The judge adjourned court so quickly because both a juror and defense attorney Alina Haba reported not feeling well today. It's expected to resume tomorrow, assuming everyone feels better. The juror who didn't feel well is being required to test for COVID and that could delay the trial even more if that does come back positive. A big conversation on this show here has been the cost of living mm -hmm. in, in New York City, but the tri-state yes. area in general. And mm -hmm. as someone who lives in New York City myself, out of the three of us, I know you guys have moved to the suburbs, I can tell you that the rent 
It's awfully high. And we actually have uh, some numbers here. Housing costs in the city rose 68% in a decade. So I want to show you the numbers. Right now, the average New Yorker is spending about $30,000 a year on housing. That means $2,500 a month on either rent or mortgage, including utilities and property taxes. And that's just the average, $2,500 a month. Wow. The report says New York's housing costs lead the nation for the biggest increase over the last decade, followed by Seattle. Low-income households and renters, the hardest hit by this increase. This is 2012 to 2022, rising mm -hmm. 68%. You know salaries didn't uh, rise 68%. Right. And Michelle, you said that yeah. you looked uh, I looked this up with the census, yeah. 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 The yeah. average you know, family living in New York um, is bringing home $76,000. That's according to the census. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's all five boroughs, which is the same thing, staying with the same idea with the rent yeah. numbers. Uh, also the same five boroughs. But you think about, I mean, you moved here from somewhere else. Yes. How many f people live in families that are like, you know, if you lived in a different state, mm -hmm. you could afford a 17-bedroom house with a helipad and a pool right. I'll tell for you. what you're paying, and you're not saving any money. What are you going to retire but when on? When you say 76000 mm -hmm. as the saying goes, the math isn't mathing. No. If you're really spending that much yeah. on housing, and, and it speaks to a much bigger problem in New York, the problem, the housing crisis mm -hmm. in this city. And, you know, all these issues that pop up, the migrant crisis, mm -hmm. overwhelming the shelter system, and high interest rates, mm -hmm. right? And yep. it's just just mounting and never ending, it seems. If you pay taxes on 76000 right, you're going to be down in the $50,000 number, right? 30000 is going to housing? your housing. Yeah. Yeah, how that's you have how are you going to make it happen with $20,000? So, ooh, scary. It's hard. Yeah. Well, coming up, a new report highlighting new concerns about youth sports, why 70% of kids are dropping out before they hit high school, and what parents can do to help them. There's a new warning about kids and sports from the American Academy of Pediatrics. A new study reveals that 70% of kids are dropping out of organized uh, youth sports by the time they're 13. Mm -hmm. Why? Well, apparently it's pressures to perform well, which can lead to burnout, and parents may notice as depression, fatigue, uh, inability to sleep, so. Yeah, kids are also getting injured more yeah. and more often because of training too much, too strenuous on the body. The study recommends kids take part in no more than one sport per day. It also says kids should have two to three months off from each sport per year. Again, the American Academy of Pediatrics says 60 million kids participate in youth sports, but 70% are dropping out by age 13, largely because of burnout and injury. That's too bad because there are so many good lessons to be learned. Oh, it's the best. In athletics, right? So, so true. So many. Teamwork. And, you know, Practice. A lot, of, a lot of college coaches like well-rounded athletes that are multi-sport athletes yeah. when they're recruiting to the higher level. It shows they're in shape year-round. Mm -hmm. uh, right. So it's, it's too bad that people are zeroing in on There's also been studies that um, young people are hanging up their cleats more and more because they can't afford it. Oh. It's getting more and more expensive going into back to our last what we just talked about. How can yeah. you do it? Right. But it, it is better. It's like you're cross training as a kid, right? Mm -hmm. But yeah. I also wonder, about five minutes ago, I feel like as parents, we were talking about, um, you know, everybody gets a trophy. Oh, so do these yeah. kids not have a skill set as kids? Like, mm. you're going to fail. That's part of it. You're going to stink. And healthy. you will survive. Yeah. You will be fine. Yeah. But, you know, it was like for a while, everybody got a trophy. And then it goes to, 
why aren't you achieving everything? And then the pressure that they haven't had the pressure. Yeah. So yeah. I just wonder if that plays a part just of it. Having Talk these to little little yeah. ones, let just them, to keep them in there. Let them fail. They are. Yeah. They're they are busy. And we'll There's yes. so much going on. There's so That's many true. different sports and lessons and and piano. Like you know yeah. everything that they're doing is just kind mm -hmm. of it can be overwhelming. It can be a lot. Expensive. Yeah. Okay. Now we got to talk about kids in the classroom because there's actually there could be a change coming to New York lesson plans adding education on climate change. So some educators like have actually this. already started integrating the lessons after they took a summer workshop, but this could become a re reality across the state thanks to several bills that are under consideration. One of them proposes teaching climate change across all grades and subject matters. Uh, that one already has the support of over 115 educators and nonprofit groups. Yes, and it would follow in the footsteps of New Jersey, which actually became the first state to mandate climate change lessons last year. New York City schools already started started the work by um, making efforts, we've talked about this, mm -hmm. composting uh, lunches, decarbonizing school buildings, and preparing students for careers in clean energy. Well, you can imagine every kid has questions about this. If they're yeah. paying any attention, you can see all over social media yeah. as well, yeah. and then they go to science class and they're like, uh, there seems to be a disconnect. It's yeah, so and, and we keep talking about just how this is not a problem for tomorrow or the future. This is a problem right now, now. and that implicates our kids, yeah. kids, so they need true. to learn about it. They really yep. do, and it needs to be normal, right? The, the science behind and backing climate change is clear. It's the politicized part is what to do about it, but we gotta talk about the science, we gotta make it normal, and uh, I think this is a, a step in the right direction. Absolutely. Stanley Cup craze, everybody's talking about <laughs> yeah. it. I'm still not up on it just yet, but people yeah. of all ages are sporting those 45 ounce yep. stainless steel cups, they're enormous. <laughs> but with this trend, are individuals risking excessive water intake? That is the question. Dr. John White, Chief Medical Officer at WebMD, and of course, good friend to the show here at Mornings at 10 to discuss this. So what do you say with, about these 45 ounce enormous cups? <laughs> and they are enormous. and. It really depends on how old you are, how active you are, even where you live and the weather can impact mm. how much water you need to be drinking. But I do want to point out that these Stanley cups, not the hockey ones, the ones that you're talking about, <laughs> you know, are roughly 40 ounces. Everyone's not putting water in there. So some people are putting coffee and just for perspective, a vente coffee is about 20 ounces. Oh, so you'd oh. be drinking two ventes. Oh, wow. If you're putting, if you're filling that up with coffee, so that's just something to keep in mind. If you're putting water in, if you're just having it throughout the day, I might argue it might be too little. Hmm. But if you're doing it multiple times a day, then that's going to be a problem. And what kind of a problem are we talking about? I mean, are we talking lightheadedness? Is this something yeah. that uh, are you negatively impacting your organs? What what are you? Mm -hmm. What are the? What's the problem? And the reality is most people don't drink enough water, but right. you can get into this phase where you're drinking too much. And the kidneys are our organ that gets rid of too much water. And the problem is if they get overwhelmed, then you're right, you're going to develop a headache. You might start to have some nausea and vomiting. The biggest concern is that your brain starts to swell because it messes up your sodium level. That's really excessive mm. amounts of water that can cause seizures. So too much water is also risky. How so, much is a normal amount of water? You said it question, varies yeah. on you know, yeah. person size and weight. Is there yeah. an easy you know, equation? 
Yeah. So for most men, it's about, you know, 14 to 15 um, cups of water a day. For women, and there's different reference points, it's probably about 11 to 12, um, you know, cups. And a cup is about eight ounces, just for perspective. For kids, it's less because part of our water consumption is based on our size. So for kids, it might be that six to eight uh, cups of water if they're less than about 10 years of age. When they're teenagers, it's typically around eight uh, cups of water a day. So doctor, wow. we check what's going in our bodies. You yeah. also say check what's coming out. You can do your own lab test at home. So right. you can look at your urine, make sure your toilet bowl is clean, and it really should be not completely clear. You don't want it to look like water. That says you're drinking too much. Too much. You want to kind of just a little bit of that golden hue. Okay. Now, if it's, if it's very yellow, then that's probably a sign that you're dehydrated, that oh, you're not okay. drinking. But your urine, and that depends whether you're you know, taking vitamins, you're eating certain things can change the color of your urine, but it's a good thing to check, at least on a daily basis, what's the color of your urine. Mm. All right. Dr. Roy, I'm so with you though. I'm not so worried about like these kids putting water in there, juice, or, you know, other people who are putting these caffeinated Same. drinks in there. Yeah. Good yeah. point. That's, that's a, such a good point. All that sugar. That's a lot. 45 that's ounces worth. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Thank you. Thanks Thank so you much your honesty. as always. Appreciate always it. Always nice seeing you. Oh, okay. Michelle, yes. I'm glad you asked that question because I wasn't a, a mature enough for it. I will do <laughs> it. Also, the way she did it was great. <laughs> also, there's even more proof that you truly are one of a kind. Oh, good. And that's because your name is at risk of becoming extinct. No yes. more. <laughs> at least according what? to Baby Center. They say that names like Michelle, Amanda, Angela, that were popular over the past decade, have fallen from grace. But don't worry, Michelle. Your okay. name is still cool. It didn't stop the, the list. All right. The company pulled from 500 baby names for each gender to find which names saw the steepest year-over-year -year declines. Oh. The baby girl names that dropped in popularity the most last year were Brooke, Blake, Mackenzie, Brooklyn, and Charlie. Ooh, Charlie was on our list for Shayla. Really? But she looks like a Shayla. Yeah, she, she does. does. You nailed that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, let's talk about the boys. Okay. Boys' names ending with Aiden, like Jaden and Raiden that were popular throughout the 2000s. Remember those? Mm -hmm. Now join the list of boys' names at risk of going extinct along with Julius, Johnny, and Reed. Yeah, Ooh. another trend that's uh, on the outs. Last names that turned first names like oh. Baylor, used to be a surname perhaps, mm -hmm. Bradley, Oakley, Reagan, and Sawyer. So, Interesting. Well, you know, all right. It's good to be unique. Well, yes, it is. You know what? Naming what a, naming another human being is not an easy feat. Yeah, that is a lot of pressure. I, I don't need to worry about it anymore. So. Of bullying, okay? <laughs> if you don't do it well, and you did it well. <laughs> Your kids I guess. Well, that's because I didn't name them. Um, we have a very special Neighborhood Eats today. One hour, 12 courses, six seats, tucked away in the lower level of a Manhattan institution, normally reserved for jewels and fashion. This is a jewel of a different kind. Sushi adorned with salt and vinegar served in an intimate space. Excited for this one. In today's Neighborhood Eats, we're taking you for omakase sushi. Hoseke, or hoseki maybe? It means jewel in Japanese, and that's your first clue as to where to find this intimate six-seat hidden gem.
So we are in Hoseki, uh, which is a sushi counter located in the lower level of Saks Fifth Avenue in Midtown. We are on the vault floor, which is the jewelry floor. If you take the escalators down and make a right, you'll find us. Each course primarily is a piece of nigiri, which is fish over rice. Chef Morgan created the menu and she changed it as she sees fit um, with a lot of attention to seasonality, freshness, uh, and what other seasonal ingredients can match with the fish. This is um, kambu kelp cured, hirame fluke. Fish will be cleaned, skinned, and then um, wrapped in kambu kelp leaves. It's the piece that's actually used at the beginning of the omakase, and it helps to kind of open up the palate. This one is dressed with yuzu, naturally colored, naturally flavored um, yuzu salt. We have a vendor, Mikiku-san. She has all of these special salts. I think it's nice to have something that just like accents it, but doesn't take away from the natural flavor of the fish. This is Kimberai Golden Eye Snapper. It has a little bit of natural sweetness on its own. Torching the skin just to kind of help make it easier to chew, but also brings out a little bit of um, fattiness, a little bit different flavor. And then put a little bit of uh, um, licorice salt on top. A lot of chefs have like their own style for cutting scallop, um, but I like this way because I think it brings a little bit more texture and just looks that much more beautiful. And then put a little bit of finger limes on top just to create a little bit of crunch and a little bit of sourness. And sometimes a little bit of yuzu zest. I wanted to have something special to place the nigiri pieces on and just the same way that the jewelry is on display in the vault, wanted the nigiri pieces to feel like they were properly honored in this space too. And my grandfather, who's 81, has gotten really into glass blowing and I wanted him to make something special for the space. So it feels like my grandfather's art is here and then I'm making a piece of art displayed on his art. That's cool. Oh, are you guys in? Great story. Are we yeah. going for lunch? Yes. I mean, it was beautiful. The food, the presentation, just, mm -hmm. just gorgeous. Um, Hoseki, by the way, is open for lunch only. Every seating is an hour. So hopefully you have a lot of time because there's 12 courses to get through. That wow. looks so fun. good. And granddaddy got a mm. shout out. I like yeah. that. Oh, that's I love so the presentation. Mm -hmm. I know it's really, really so gorgeous. Personal touches are special. Mm -hmm.